So we are continuing in our Arrow series uh, this morning as we're looking at some of the uh, relationships in our lives with our, our spouses, with our kids. Um, uh, most closely, we're looking at those. Uh, and Seth did a great job last week. Um, I, I love just being here and being able to worship and listen. Uh, last week, I had plans of, of being away originally, but uh, those changed. So, so I just got to come and worship. And Seth said, well, if, if you didn't preach here, would you, would you attend worship here? I said, yes, because like, I've been in places that I wouldn't. Like if, I wasn't, if they weren't paying me, I wouldn't come. Like, but here I would, and it was great. And Seth talked about uh, work. And he had the ping pong table down here, and I still don't know how he played ping pong and talked uh, at the same time. I could never uh, do that. Uh, but he did, and talked about setting our spouses up uh, for success. That so often it's a, a, we want to make it a competition, and we want to win the argument. We want to win the fight. We want to win what's ever going on in our life. But, um, but really, our lives and our kids' lives are better uh, when we set our spouse up for success. Um, and his whole theme last week was work. He wore his work boots. And, um, and it, with kids his age, that's why he preached that sermon in this series, it's because it's a lot of work. If you've got young kids like that, it is, it is a lot of work. Like you never get any time off of, of raising kids that way. In week one, if we go all the way back there, we talked about our aim in hitting the bullseye and, and how the, the bullseye is seeking first the kingdom of God. It's making sure that our kids have a relationship with, with Jesus. Uh, and then we talked about the release in, in week two, that sometime they're gonna leave. And we've gotta begin with the end in mind of a, at some point they're gonna leave. We've gotta know that from the beginning and we've got a plan for that. We talked about things as too much gas and too much clutch and how, how, how both of those are a problem. We've got to find a balance. And then in week three, we talked about the, the rhythm, setting the pace of, of our lives. Uh, and today, uh, we're going to talk about opponents. And I, and I know it's out of order uh, with A-R-R-O-W for arrows, but, um, but we're going to talk about opponents. And the title of the sermon today is Paint Your House Red. Paint Your House Red. And we've been out of Psalm 127. That's where, where we've been launching from every week. And I just want to read those five verses again today. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is for vain that you rise up early to retire late to eat the bread of painful labors or the, the bread of sorrows, another translation reads, because um, God wants us to eat the, the bagels of blessings, I think. It says, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Remember, that was kind of week one. We talked about children are a blessing. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Opponents. And I've said that, and if I tell you that like, that's the title, you ought to be able to find that in the verses that I just read. And in fact, we, we see that twice in, in those five verses. An opponent is, is des described in the dictionary, defined in the dictionary as someone who competes and fights against you. An adversary, an enemy, a rival, someone who disagrees with your point of view and, and makes that known. 
And two different times in this text, we see that. Um, It says, unless the Lord guards the house, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So here we have something being watched because something's probably being attacked. Like you don't need a watchman if there's no threat of attack. And the second time is in the last verse, it said they shall speak with their enemies at the gate. Like there's opponents. So how do we go from this happy family series where there's like mom and dad and first came love and then came marriage and then came a little baby in the baby carriage to today, it's like I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It's like, well, did we change the channel? Like, we're talking about family, and now all of a sudden we're talking about combat? Now we're talking about war? But that's always the the case in the Christian life. Because the Christian life is not not a playground, it's a battleground. All of our lives, we are in a A battle. Like Paul lays this out very well for the, for the church in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter six, uh, where he's talking about the full armor of God. He says, we are at war, and we're not at war with each other. We're not at war with flesh and blood, but we're at war with the, the, the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Like we are fighting a battle, and it's a battle like where our home is the front line. The enemy is gonna go after our marriage. He's going to go after our our relationship with our kids because if he can put out the fire there, then it's not gonna spread any further. And God's desire for each of us is that we would be on fire for him, that we would be salt, that we would be light into a very dark world. And the enemy's objective is, hey, I'm gonna extinguish that at home before it can even go out into the world. Like, but listen, you wanna be a great man of God? Love your wife. even when she's unlovable. You wanna be used by God and his church? Love your children. You wanna have influence in the world? It starts at home. Because if it ain't working at home, why do you think God would wanna to, to export that elsewhere? Home is where it starts. And the first thing I wanna tell you this week is that there are many adversaries. There are many opponents that are, that are standing there. If you go back to our, our illustration there, like you're standing watch, you're a watchman on, on the wall, you're, you're an archer, like ready for the attack. Like you need to know that there are all kinds of adversaries. If our desire and our aim is to get our arrows to the target, and again, in week one, we said the target is seeking God's kingdom first, Like, we know that's the bullseye, God's kingdom, eternity. Like, we want our kids to have a relationship with Jesus. Then you know what? what, What's not the bullseye? Anything else? Softball's not the bullseye. Good grades aren't the bullseye. A ton of money in the bank's not the bullseye. Like, all those things are good things. But Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything else will be added to you. We can't put anything else in first place. I think the greatest mistake that we can make in our lives is to live for the wrong thing. Like we want our kids to love Jesus. We want our kids to know Jesus. Like we want them to know from from the very birth that there is a holy calling on their lives, that God has greater plans for them. 
that they are appointed and anointed to, to take their place and to change the world, that they are, they are the head and they're not the tail, that they're from above and not from below, that they are, they are leaders and not followers. Like they need to know that they are called, that they are chosen, that they are, are valuable in the sight of God, that they are cherished. They need to view themselves from a very young age is that they are ambassadors of God to this world. Like they're arrows, I got some of my favorite arrows here this morning. Not you, that one. <laughs> but as we teach that, listen, like at every turn, there's going to be op- op- opposition. Because wherever there's opportunity for great things, uh, opposition will arise. The devil doesn't want any of those things for your kids. He doesn't want them to know that they are chosen and that they are called and that they are valuable and that they are beautiful and that they are cherished. He will do everything that he can to stop you. And he starts from the very beginning hitting below the belt. Listen, he doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't give a a rip about fighting fair. He's going to hell and his objective is to take as many people with, with him as he can. He is deranged and he is desperate and you can't reason with him. You can't bargain with him. You must stand against him in the mighty name of Jesus. Like that's the only way. Or he'll destroy your marriage. He'll destroy your family. He will leave you stumbling out of your kid's 18th birthday party going, man, I wish I would have spent more time with them. I wish I would have spent more time giving them the bread of life than making sure they had the the best bread this world has to offer. The devil wants you to focus on everything except the ultimate thing. He wants you running around chasing the God of sports and putting everything else in the back seat. He wants you running around chasing the, the, the God of wealth and putting everything else in the back seat. But listen, on, your, on their deathbed, your kids are not gonna call out to the God of sports. They're not gonna call out to the God of of wealth. We need to focus on what matters most. And listen, the devil will oppose it. There are many adversaries, many landmines in the paths of our kids, and there's more every day. And I I have a list of some things, some adversaries that are coming against us that, that the devil will put in the path of our children. First one like that I thought of was internet pornography. Like the internet did not exist when I was six years old. Like I'm that old. USA Today just did an article recently. The average kid in America will inadvertently see pornography for the first time at the age of six. That's the world we're living in. Technology has brought us many great things, but also many horrific things. Another adversary, eating disorders. We have never in the history of the world had more access to food globally than we have right now. Yet more people are voluntarily starving themselves. In this country alone, eight million people in our world, in our country, are affected by anorexia or bulimia. Sadly, 90% of that occur in women between the ages of 12 and 25 who need nutrition the most because their bodies and their brains are are still developing. 
But the enemy has held up this artificial standard of beauty So this is what beautiful is. This is what lovely is. So we have nine-year-old girls thinking they need to go on a diet so they can look like a supermodel. I need to starve myself. When the real definition of beauty is that, hey, you were created in the image of God, that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God, God calls you valuable no matter what. And we need to make wise eating choices. We need to do all of those things. But that's not what makes us beautiful. What makes us beautiful is, is having a spirit of, of humility. A spirit of like, read Proverbs chapter 31. Great chapter on what beauty is. Another enemy, STDs. Why is that on the list? Because listen, when, when doctors were treating STDs 40 years ago, you know how many of they were, they were treating commonly? Two. Two. 40 years later, the average doctor will need to know how to identify and treat 25 sexually transmitted diseases. 25. Because that's how many are showing up at any given, any given practice on any given day. Three to four million teenagers contract a new STD every year. That works out to 10,000 kids a day. One in five Americans over the age of 12 test positive for genital herpes. Maybe that's why God said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you save yourself for marriage and, and, and keep sex, the gift of sex inside the marriage bed all of your days of your life? Oh, God doesn't want me to have fun. No, God doesn't want you to have genital herpes. Divorce is another one. Like, it's in the path of kids these days. They're having to grow up in, in, in brokenness all around them. And, and I want to speak tenderly about, about such a sensitive issue because I've been through it. But, but I want to speak about it because there's volumes of research on daughters and sons and they consistently reveal that divorce hurts kids. And parents tell their kids, hey, it's, it's not your fault. It's mom and dad, it has nothing to do with you. But all the same, children inevitably feel a sense of guilt and they carry a sense of responsibility in that they didn't keep mom and dad together. Heard this quote from a doctor, a medical doctor. She said, the most common cause of unhappiness and despair what crushes the spirit of children more than anything else is divorce. It says divorce is really the central problem that has created a generation of young adults who are at a high risk for chaotic relationships, STDs, and confusion about life and purpose. It's heartbreaking. It's suicide. In this country, there is a suicide every 13 minutes. And often, it's sadly young people who are taking their lives. It's the second leading cause of death for those between the ages of 15 to 34. The statistics say that for every successful suicide, there are between 50 and 100 who attempt it. And one study showed that one-third of all middle school and high school students have thought about taking their own life. And only one in 10 of them will ever tell anybody that they had those thoughts. This is the world we're raising our kids in. 
This is the, the, the climate we're trying to keep them safe in. Because that's our job, is to keep them safe. We are, we are the watchmen, Psalm 127 says. It said, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And watch we must. You know, a watchman says, hey, open the gate, or keep the gate closed, or pour oil on their head. As watchmen, parents, we have to, to regulate what comes in and what goes out of our homes. Like, that's our responsibility. And it goes back to, to week one where we talked about too much clutch and too much gas, and both are a problem. Letting everyone in and everything in is no better than, than letting nothing in and letting no one out. Now, I just told you this is a crazy world we live in, and here's what you want to do. You want to take your kids and put them in a fallout shelter. You don't want to let them see daylight until they're 18. Problem is, you'll screw them up that way, too. You'll screw them up the same way as if you give them all the control. It's a balance of, of knowing that it's a dangerous world, but also knowing that we have to trust the Lord. We must commit them to God, and we must inspect everything at the gate, knowing that we alone can't keep them safe. This is unless the Lord guards the house, the watchmen watch in vain. So the million-dollar question with all of the tension is how do we activate God's protection over our house? How do we get to the point where we speak to the enemies at the gate, as it said in verse 5? And I already told you, it's, you paint your house red. Here's the text where I get that from. It's in Exodus chapter 12. And if you were with us several weeks ago as we were in our Exodus series, Todd uh, preached a great sermon on this very text. And it says this, it said, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay them for the, and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentils and the two doorposts and none of you should go outside of the door of the house until morning. It says, for the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians. I love that word. And when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. The context here is the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They'd been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Like they, they were the workforce of, of Pharaoh. They were building the pyramids, they were building the cities. And, and one day, uh, you, like you, you've been through the story, one day a, a man on fire in a bush told Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, let my people go. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, God said to let my people go. And Pharaoh said no. So God rained down a series of plagues, nine different plagues, all corresponding with an Egyptian God. Because the whole thing was about showing Pharaoh who, who really was God. They worshiped the Nile, we turned it into blood. They worshiped the sun, they worshiped frogs, they worshiped lice. So God was like, hey, I will give you as much of your gods as you, you want. I'll give them so much of your gods that, that you won't even want them anymore. And each time, every plague, Pharaoh had the opportunity to do the right thing. 
but he refused. God gave him chance after chance after chance because the Bible teaches us that God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't desire any to perish, but to all have everlasting life. But Pharaoh hardened his heart so many times that the Bible says that God then actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. God had had enough, and he locked Pharaoh's decision in. C.S. Lewis said there are two types of people in the world, those who say, thy will be done, and those who say, my will be done. There is a point uh, that God is gonna reach the terminal end of his patience, which is I would say today, if you, if you can hear my voice, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart, because today is the day of salvation. Now is the, the acceptable time. So God says, here's what's gonna happen. He did the nine plagues and Pharaoh's heart's still hard and he said, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna pass through the land and the destroying angel will come at my side. The book of Revelation, it said death shall follow with me and after that even Hades. So, So that's what's going on. He said, this is gonna happen. It's not just gonna happen to the Egyptians. It's gonna happen to everybody. He says, I'm gonna come to every home, every single door, and I'm gonna open the door, and death is coming in. It's every house in the land. There will be death for every family. There will be weeping. There will be crying all throughout Egypt. And now none of this was because it's what God wanted. It was because we had all chose our own way. We all, like sheep, had gone astray. We had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So, so the death angel is coming. But the second thing I want you to know is God said, I'm going to give you a way out. I, I am going to make a way. Because God always makes a way. Like when, when there is no way, God always makes a way for salvation. So here's what he said to do. He said, you need to bring a lamb into your home. And you need to raise it, you need to, you need to love on that lamb, and it needs to be spotless, and it needs to be pure. It needs to be without any type of blemish. And then what you're gonna do after you've had this lamb in your house, after you've become connected to it, and it's like your family pet, what you're gonna do is you're gonna kill this lamb so you know what sacrifice is, you know, you know what giving something up is, and shed its blood into a basin. And you were to take some hyssop, this is a, a paintbrush, it's not really hyssop, and this is paint, it's not really blood. And he said, what I want you to do is on your door frame, I just want you to paint it with blood on, on both sides. Kyle, I'm getting paint on your stage, Sorry. And then he said, I want you to do the top as well. So I just want you to paint it red with blood. He said, that that home, he said, the home that's marked with blood, he said, I will pass over it. He said, I will not allow the destroyer to enter any home that is marked with the blood. 
He said, that home right there, he said, I, I, will, I will pass over. The blood will be a shield. The blood will be a force field when the destroyer comes. And the principle was one of, of substitution. Because whenever there's sin, there has to be death. But the guilty, he said, you don't have to die because an innocent lamb did. And here's how we bring this, this all home. Only the blood can death-proof your home. And I know it's, it's a weird Old Testament thing and, like, and we're New Testament people. Like, how does all of this apply? I love what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. He said, for you know, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which, which lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. See, we see Jesus as the spotless lamb of God from the very beginning of his ministry. As John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River and Jesus walks by, John stops everybody and says, hey, look, or behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus shed his blood so that it could be applied to the door of our lives, to the door of our families, to the door of our house. And that's the gospel. The only thing standing between your family and destruction is the blood of Jesus. Try as you might to keep them safe. Wrap them in bubble wrap, put rollerblade pads on them when they go to sleep, get them a chastity belt, buy a shotgun when they start dating, build a bomb shelter in your backyard and stock it with canned goods, but you cannot save them forever. Now let's get to some good news. One day you're gonna die. How about when they die? How are you gonna keep them safe? But if you've come to Christ, if you've won them to Christ, if you've led them to Jesus, listen, then no matter what else happens to them, no matter how your plans fail, if they wear the blood of Jesus Christ like armor on their soul, what's the worst that can happen to them? The worst, well, what if they die? And you're like, yeah, that's a problem. And Jesus actually dealt with that with his disciples. He was telling them, hey, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and they're gonna put me on trial and they're gonna kill me. And they're like, hey, man, if they're gonna kill you, they're probably gonna kill us too. And here's what Jesus told him. He said, don't be afraid of someone who can only kill you. And they can't do anything more. He said, here's something to worry about. Worry about the one that after he's killed you can throw your body and soul into hell forever. But Paul said this in Romans chapter eight and Todd used it for communion. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us. If your children have come to Christ, they are death proof, and nothing can happen to them. Ultimately, listen, they are invincible. There is invincibility in being in Christ which is why we, it must be paramount to us that we get our kids into a relationship with Jesus. And the third thing I, I want you to know today is this, is that power is, is not in access, but it's in application. 
It's not knowing how to be saved, but it's obeying. Like all of the children of Israel, they knew what to do. God told, God told Moses, he said, hey, I want you to get all the Israelite leaders together. I want you to get, get all of them together and I want you to tell them what to do. Make sure everybody knows that on this day that they are to kill a lamb, that they are to, to, to drain its blood into a basin and that they're to paint their doorposts. You make sure everybody knows. And, and I don't know this for sure, but I am sure that there were some people who said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. A death angel coming to take everybody out and the blood of a lamb is gonna save us? Come on, that doesn't make any sense at all. I'm sure some died. It seems foolish. It doesn't make any sense. And what I want you to, to, to notice is that it was public. It wasn't like God said, hey, you know what? Just take some of that blood inside and put it, put it on the other side where no one can see it. You know, after all, this is, th th this whole relationship thing, it, it's very personal, it's very private. You, you can keep it on the inside. Now God said it's gotta be on the outside. God said you need, to, you need to show the world that your house has been painted with blood. I get the same thing when I talk about baptism and people giving their life to Christ. People say that it's foolish. Like, I, like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Like, and listen, it doesn't make any sense. I'll tell you. Like, there's nothing magical in the water, just like there was nothing magical in the blood. Paul said that the cross is foolishness to those who, who are perishing. Again, for me, like, I'm gonna take the word of the one who died and came back to life, no matter how foolish it sounds. And it's not just, just baptism. Like, I'm going to be applying coats of paint over and over and over again as I read God's word and I'm applying it to my life. I'm gonna talk about it with my kids as, as Deuteronomy chapter six says, while we're eating and while we're walking down the road and while we're just doing life together. Like, I'm just gonna keep giving it another coat. I love it now that my, my kids, like they're grown up and they wanna talk the Bible with me. They want my opinions and thoughts on what it means and, and, and how to apply it. Like when they were little, Jennifer and her, her beautiful handwriting, I'm saying something very nice about her this week. In her beautiful handwriting, she just had these little cards or little chalkboards all over the house with God's word written on it. But listen, power is in the application. It's not just in the access. Transformation happens when, when, when we apply what we know to our lives. So today, I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm just gonna offer uh, an invitation. For some of you, it's going to be that, that you need to accept Christ in baptism. Why it works, how it works, like I don't really know. But here's what the Bible says, that it works. It says when you are baptized in Christ, you are baptized into him, that you are clothed with him, and it works. Some of you, that's the decision you need to make today. For others of you, it's going to be repentance, that you need to come back to God. You know, 
Like you, God's been speaking to you and talking to you for days, for weeks, for months, maybe for years for some of you on an issue. And you've been hardening your heart and you've been saying, I'll deal with it later. I'll get to another time. Listen, the, God's patience will run out. So today is the day to make it right. For others of you, it's going back through the series and looking at some of the things that we've talked about, like where's your aim? Like what target are you shooting your arrows at right now? And you need to readjust your aim because you know it's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For some of you, it is, it is the release and you're having a hard time letting go. You're having a hard time. And God's saying, hey, at some point, you've got to trust me with them. For some of you, it's setting the, the, the pace, it's the rhythm of your life, and it's sitting down and, and having supper together, and it's, it's all of those things that we talked about. For some of you, it's work, like Seth talked about last week, and, and getting those things together. You've been working at everything else, but building your family. The power is not in the access. You've had the access. The power is when you apply it. Will you paint your house red today? Father God, we're thankful that you've given us so much access to your word. You've given us so much access to, to what you want for our lives. So Father, I pray today that you would help us to apply it. Whatever that next step is that, that, that you're calling us to take, Father, I'm so thankful today that we have the opportunity to, to paint our house red with, with the blood of Christ. That you've made a way for us to be saved even though we don't deserve it. So Father, that, that there is good news in Christ Jesus. That in him, like that, that we really are invincible. That nothing can separate us from your love that is found in Christ Jesus. Father, today I thank you for that. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to, to come to the altar this morning, to, to present our lives to you. My prayer is that we'll apply it in Jesus' name.